thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Every week we bring to you topics and information that's designed to help you create the most amazing life. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And together we are the Wellness Women. Welcome to this week's show. We're really excited actually to be presenting something that's so close to the core of what we are all about and Andrew's going to bring that in for us. What are we going to do this week? I have been waiting so so long for us to cover this topic. If you go back to our very first episode, uh, I introduced one of my patients that I had a long time ago. Her name was Stacy. I'm going to tell you her story today uh, because she has an experience with a condition that is so Uh, debilitating that affects so many women and this was actually the very start of my journey into this absolute passion that we have for women's health because there's such a huge percentage of our population that are actually affected by endometriosis and that's what we're talking about today ladies uh, about 10 to 15 percent of the population worldwide is affected by endometriosis it is one of the most debilitating conditions that i see in women every single day and to put that in context of numbers globally because of course we care not just about women here in australia but everywhere around the world that's 176 million worldwide, if you put that in a population context. That is an incredible amount of women who are suffering with a very serious um, hormonal health problem. Yeah. And let me tell you the story of Stacey. And uh, I'm just going to give you a bit of a disclaimer here because medically speaking, um, we're not allowed to share testimonials. So this is not a testimonial. This is I'm just going to tell you the story of my patient, Stacey. She originally came to see me three years ago with the worst case of endometriosis that I'd heard of or read about. Um, she had pain from when she was 10 years old. She was diagnosed at 12 and she was put on the pill at 13 uh, because Every time she would get her period, it would last for two weeks and she would hemorrhage for two weeks a month. So for half of the month, she would be hemorrhaging. She would be vomiting and fainting. She'd have to be hospitalized a lot because of the amount of blood loss and the severity of her pain. She, Leading up to her period, she would have a week of, again, agonizing pain. So she'd be lucky if she had one good week a month. Can you imagine living like that? Um, And there's some of our listeners that are living like that. And there's a lot of women as well listening as well who have slightly less severe symptoms, but it's still affecting quality of life, the quality of living and the choices we get to make. And that dread that they have for their period and leading up to their cycle each and every month. Let alone intimacy with partners, these things all being affected. So tell us a bit more about Stacey. She, over the course of her teenage life, she was thrown all sorts of different medical treatments. So she had six different um, endometrial surgeries, um, which for her symptomatology was actually quite low because they tend to do it a bit more often. Um, so she had six operations. She was put on a Depo-Provera drug trial. On that, she bled every single day for a year every single day she was given the marina iud and so obviously they're jumping around trying to find solutions so yeah. they try one thing for a period of time and then yeah. switch switch profile and try a different thing yeah and on the drug trial she was actually given deeper provera so she wasn't in the control group she was she was on the drug uh she was given the marina iud which should never be given to women who have not have children um that's even part of their statement their advertising you can see it on their website they will say that they don't advise it for women who haven't had children she bled every single day on that 
for a year again. So, you know, they were kind of trying things for sort of 12 months at a time. Uh, when she was studying, she was having pethidine injections every three days. Uh, she was pretty much living on painkillers because she had no other option at the time. By the time she was 25, she was told that she the only thing that she could do is have a full hysterectomy. And she was told this by the leading expert of endometriosis in New Zealand and the head of gynecology in New Zealand that, look, all you can do is have a full hysterectomy. Um, I cannot even fathom 20, telling a 25-year-old woman who's still trying to sort themselves out, they don't know if they want to have kids or not, that this is all you can do. This is the only thing you can do. And after that, we'll put you on hormone replacement therapy for the rest of your life. And the reason they jumped around is because the root cause of endometriosis just still isn't known. Yeah. They don't have a clear-cut reason for every single woman who has endometriosis as to why so this is absolutely not medical incompetence this is this is an opportunity to try and investigate what is going to work for stacy because each woman's solution is different there's often things that overlap but some Mm. women respond better to some things than they do with others and yet stacy was one of those cases where they just couldn't crack that code of what was going on for her yeah unfortunately you know she did beautifully um i she came to see me when she was 33 and we did a lot of work with her look i'm not going to go into that because i don't want it to sort of breach any kind of um you know patient testimonies because her um, story was not is not typical for for women and it may not be typical for anybody else so i'm not going to go into detail about that but one of the problems with women's health right now is that we compartmentalize the body. So we look at the reproductive organs in isolation to everything else. So you go and see a gynecologist and they're going to look at your reproductive organs and not pay attention to the stress levels, to what their um, overall hormonal health is like, including the adrenal hormones uh, and everything else along with that. So what is their lifestyle doing? What other factors are coming into play with this? And one of the really confusing things with endometriosis is, like you said, no one is completely sure about what absolutely causes it. We know it's a hormonal imbalance. And if we break it all down, it is a hormonal imbalance that absolutely can be addressed. There's lots of medical theories around why it comes about. And so, you know, let's kind of discuss a few of those. Um, I think for me, the first step for any woman who suspects they've got endometriosis sorry, endometriosis, or let's just say they've been diagnosed with endometriosis, is get educated and learn about what your body is really doing. And so there is no one on this planet who knows your body better than you do. So with the right education, the right advice and the right guidance and your intuition, which can't be discounted when it comes to these things, mm-hmm. I really believe women are incredibly intuitive. We just get removed from that because of the medicalization of the way our bodies work. And you just mentioned that how we, we push everything down into systems, into parts. And we don't look at the sum of the whole um, to solve these riddles. And yet once you start to understand why that is, then you start to see how some of the lifestyle factors you've had may well have contributed to the place you are right now. Absolutely without blame. Yeah. yeah. And it, this is just a point though. At some point, you've got to get to that point where you go, you know what? There's a few things I need to do differently. Women will, on average, see about seven different doctors before they have a diagnosis of endometriosis. So let's just talk about the things that might lead them into the doctor's office before we get to the theories as to why it might occur first. So should we just define quickly endometriosis? Because there might be some ladies listening who actually don't know what we're talking about because endometriosis is a word we hear a lot, 
but we don't actually necessarily know a lot about it unless we think we've got it and we've done some homework and some research and possibly some Dr. Google or chats to doctors. <laughs> so let's just define firstly, what is endometriosis, Andrea? So that is where the endometrial tissue, which is usually within the uterine lining, and so that's confined to the uterus, is actually growing outside of the uterus, which means it's subject to the hormonal changes that happen throughout the month, which means the endometrial tissue will inflame, it will grow, it will bleed. Um, so this is where we can get bleeding outside of the uterus, yeah, don't we? Yeah. So we could get bleeding in, in potentially areas around the stomach or internal organs or any other places. Yeah. I heard of a woman who had bleeding in the mucosa of her mouth. Yeah, isn't that incredible? And curious as well. I mean, almost bizarre. In an old world, we would have put them in a, a freak sideshow and thought that that was some, you know, freak of nature. But in fact, we know it's a, a dysplastic cell function in the, well, doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. Exactly. Or doing the right thing in the wrong place, probably, if you think about it, because yeah. that's what the cell's meant to be doing. Because the, that tissue is still subject to, you know, our monthly cycle. And most commonly, the endometrial tissue is outside of the uterus. It can create adhesions from the uterine lining to the bladder or the uterine lining to the bowel. One of the most common sites is the pouch of Douglas, which is from the posterior or the back surface of the uterus to the rectum. That's why a lot of women also get a lot of bowel issues when they have endometriosis as well. So about 80% of women who have endometriosis will also suffer from irritable bowel type symptomatology as well. So it's a bit of a concomitant um, condition there. Uh, the hallmark symptoms are very, very painful periods and heavy bleeding. So lots of cramping, lots of pain. And this can be excruciating to the point of absolutely debilitating. And medical crisis. You think something yeah. is severely wrong, which often women will be calling a doctor or a hospital or ambulance thinking that possibly an organ has ruptured because the pain is so severe and it's not necessarily just pelvic pain is it it could be intra-abdominal so anywhere in the abdominal region just intensifying those cramping painful experiences because the body is is responding to this change in cellular structure yeah exactly uh and so women will often have very heavy menstrual periods so often last a little bit longer than what would for you know say a normal cycle which would be about five days. So two days of you know heavier bleeding that tapers off into nothing. Women with endometriosis might have like, for example, stasis case, two weeks of very, very heavy bleeding, um, or it might be a seven day period or something like that. Uh, Stacey and all my other patients that have endometriosis also have a lot of heavy clotting as well. And my experience in practice, you know, my clients, most of them will say that the very first time they even know that they've got clinical endometriosis um, and defined and diagnosed is when they want to have children. The high rates of infertility were women with endometriosis. So trying and trying and trying for a child, but not able to, and finally having investigations, which leads to the track of, oh, you've got endometriosis, oh, you need a laparoscopy, you won't fall pregnant until we do this. And why is it the women with endometriosis have such a tough time with fertility a lot of it is because of the adhesions that the endometrial tissue creates so it can create blockages and adherence within the fallopian tubes from exactly. the ovary to the fallopian tube as well which means that that passage of the ovary through the tube into the, the egg uterus. through the tube oh what did i say <laughs> the yeah. ovary through the tube oh yeah the ovary <laughs> doesn't move through the tube sorry i'm glad you corrected me there um the egg through the tube um it can't actually make that passage so that's one of the reasons but there is an extreme amount of hormonal imbalance that goes on with that. Ash, I love how you've said get educated. I want you to use caution though because most of the information out there is so negative. Even the Endometrial Society of Australia say that there's no cure for it. 
How? I do not believe that. Yeah, I absolutely disagree, disagree. do not believe that. Um, if a woman has recovered from these symptoms, if they're originally medically diagnosed for it, then they go back and see their doctor and they no longer have that symptomatology. They will say to them, oh, you didn't have it in the first place. That is a load of crap. Okay. Your body has the potential to heal. It absolutely does. I've seen it so many times. And so we just this, be conscious you know, of that. Um, a lot of the support groups that are out there for endometriosis at the moment, yes, they are very, very beneficial. Um, you do need support if you do have this condition, but just be weary of the fact that a lot of it is doomsday. Yeah. And, and there certainly. are other options and your body can heal. So let me just, you know, preface that, you know, with that, with that information initially. And I couldn't agree with you more. I do feel as though a lot of women will get involved with support groups and this is no discredit to any of these groups, but the support by nature almost uh, creates a victim yeah. of the person who's experiencing it. So uh, it's great not to feel alone, but also to think that these things are normal in some ways and normal because other women have the same thing. It, misses the fact that our brilliant bodies are clearly falling apart in some ways because of something that's causing that cellular change i would rather find out why not just get down to a diagnosis and say i've got it so suck it up this is my thing i've got endometriosis because a lot of people own their identity i've got pcos i've got endometriosis Mm -hmm. i've got migraines um as an identity this disease process, this change in body function is not your identity. So let's try and overcome that today with some of the great natural solutions we have and what we give as guidance to help women overcome this huge challenge that is endometriosis. Uh, And look, this might um, be something that, especially if you have had this diagnosis and if you have suffered with this for a really, really long time, it might be hard to listen to some of these things because... When you go down the medical route, it's a very passive system. So many times I hear over and over again that women are just told they're unlucky. I'm sorry, you're just really unlucky. You drew the short straw that this is why you've got this. And again, it couldn't be further from the truth. There's oh, no it's genetics. It's yeah. just bad genes. You've yeah. got, you, you were the, of all the eggs and sperm in the entire you know, equation that came about at fertilization, you were just the unlucky egg and the unlucky sperm. I disagree with that. Every yeah. Part of you is brilliant because you were born the way you're meant to be. And there are certainly things that you can change. And when you're told that there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it, there couldn't be anything further from the truth. So let's just quickly have a look at some of the medical theories that surround why endometriosis actually happens in the first place, because it's pretty confusing. And like what we said earlier, there is no one definitive way of saying that, yeah, you know, this is why endometriosis happens. So medicine is still divided on this. Uh, There are certainly lots of contributing factors. Uh, One theory is that... um, that of retrograde menstruation. So some women actually menstruate, some of the the menstrual blood will actually regurgitate back into the uterus. However, I don't really buy that because any woman who exercises when they have on the the first few days of their period are increasing their risk of retrograde menstruation and on um, ultrasound, I think up to about 80% of us will do that naturally during a cycle at one point or the other anyway. So why don't all women who have retrograde menstruation have endometriosis? So that's not good enough. That doesn't suffice Which would pretty much mean that everyone who exercises through menstruation or who has, um, let's just say they have intercourse at menstruation, then we should all be in the same boat. But that's not the case. Uh, another theory is that pelvic tissue spontaneously converts to endometrial tissue due to, say, irritation or hormonal activity. 
Sure, but it's not spontaneous because it's from a trigger. So it's a hormonal trigger that's created that change in the tissue. And the theory that kind of makes a little bit more sense at the moment is that it's an embryological process. So in the sense that when we're a developing embryo, we all start with some differentiation in our tissue structure. So that's um, the best way I can describe it is, for example, if someone has cancer in the bowel, it can metastasize to the spine because that tissue originally started off as the same type of tissue. And that's how, you know... It's called differentiation. Yeah, with that and tissue, so tissue di- differentiation. So when um, the endometrial tissue is differentiating at that time of development, there's other parts of the body that does that same differentiation that doesn't quite change as much as it can. And this would certainly explain why they've found endometrial tissue in, say, lung tissue or gallbladder tissue and other parts of a woman's body as well. However... I think that no matter what, it comes down to hormonal imbalance. It's absolutely an estrogen dominant condition. Um, and that's why there's such a high prevalence of it at the moment because of our environmental xenoestrogens, because of our toxic exposure to that, but also because so many women are on the pill. <laughs> absolutely. I look, I certainly always educate my clients on lifestyle and the triggers and the exposures i mean there's incredible research that they did and i'm not a big advocate of uh, research on animals i think there's a hell of a lot of cruelty but as you know a lot of the science and great science progressions we have is because of that so we do have to accept that in some way they did research on recess monkeys um, and that shows a link between the exposure to dioxins which are for those of you who don't know what dioxins are you often find in pesticides they're a chemical and the greater the exposure to the dioxin the more severe the endometriosis yeah so you know when we know that dioxin is a byproduct of pesticides um and it's in paper products and bleach so let's just say like are you using bleach toilet paper chances Mm. are dioxins have been used in the production of that white toilet paper and you have absolutely no idea and so you wonder are they being a bit alarmist and doomsday saying that there's uh xenoestrogens all around us but there really is because it's so hard to equate for all the processing of the products we consume or use. Um, the paper we write on is pitch blank white. Well, chances are it's had dioxins in that process of production. So, yeah, absolutely, environmental toxins and triggers that uh, facilitate this estrogen dominance is a really huge concern. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and just to put it into perspective, you might be thinking, oh, you know, well, everyone's going to be exposed to estrogens. You know, everyone's going to have that sort of toxic load. Yeah, whatever. Every single person I have ever done uh, hormonal testing on, well, or every single woman, every single one has had toxic levels of estrogen. That that's what the test results have come back with. So this amount of exposure that we have right now from perfumes, cleaning products, all of our beauty products that we use, even you know, just the environmental exposure is creating this huge change in our body. Um, So that's why detoxification from a lot of these things, making sure our our livers are working really, really well because that is the pathway through which our body that we actually detoxify those excess estrogens is so, so critical. Uh, And that's why if you do have a diagnosis like endometriosis, you don't have the luxury of 
being blasé about yeah, these things anymore. You can't be flippant about your lifestyle and environment. No, you have to make changes and you have to decrease your toxic exposure to these things. Look, we'll certainly put a list on the Facebook page about um, you know where most of this uh, exposure is coming from so that you can start to make steps right now to reduce your level of exposure. All right, so ladies, if you have... Uh, being diagnosed with endometriosis if you do know that you have it um, you know according to medicine at the moment the gold standard testing for a diagnosis is actually laparoscopic surgery um, which is pretty unfortunate because it means that you actually have to have a surgical procedure to say whether or not you definitively have it and that means going under general anesthetic mm-hmm. and being prepped for surgery and of course then an invasive procedure to rule in or rule out the presence of endometrial tissue um, in areas other than the uterus and which is very difficult, believe it or not. So you might get a false diagnosis or you might get um, what they call a false positive or false negative. Like you you might be told, no, there's nothing, or you may be told there's something in the absence. So it is tricky because it's not a um, a 100% definitive outcome, but it's a pretty good indicator. And the challenge is that the science or the research is changing all the time. You know, what they originally considered um, to be endometrial tissue, uh, what it used to look like, what the colours that they were looking for of that tissue, now changes dramatically. So uh, originally what we used to think was, say, endometrial cysts, we would say consider them to be, say, chocolate cysts and things that affected the ovary, whereas now we know that that tissue can be blue, can be green, can even be gold. So the colours that they're recognising that is abnormal even those things are changing. So the standards that are current now in five years' time might also be really, really different. As far as I'm concerned, symptomatology is a pretty good way to really understand what's going on with a woman's body and is a really good start to know that you've got to make changes. If you have had that diagnosis and you're wondering, okay, so medically speaking, what are your options? What will tend to happen is that you'll be recommended to have laparoscopic excision of the excess tissue. Now, and that means they're going to remove it. So an excision is to, to scrape away, to remove or ablaze, you burn off uh, the excess tissue in the wrong places. Yeah, exactly. And the issue with that is that even the best surgeons, so the ones that deal with endometriosis every single day, their highest rate of actually getting it all is maybe 10%. So maybe 10% of the tissue they can actually get. And it has a recurrence rate of 80%. And that's because these microscopic little cells are tucked in on organs, around organs, behind organs. They, they can't go in there and wash them all out. It's not, uh, not as simple as just taking them away and it'll all be well because as long as there's a couple of cells left, then they'll proliferate and they potentially will become the continuing problem. And you cannot surgically excise a condition that your hormonal imbalance has created. So... If you've got a hormonal imbalance that's caused it in the first place, which is always the case for women who have endometriosis, then no matter how many laparoscopic operations you have, the endometrial tissue will grow back. A hysterectomy is also something that will not completely change that. So even if you do remove the uterus, because of what we know about the fact that they have found endometrial tissue in the lining of the bowel and all sorts of other areas as well, it doesn't fix the pain. Because there'll still the be, with, a, with the removal of the uh, uterus and the womb, will still be, most likely, you'll be put onto uh, hormone replacements. Yeah. And so thereby that cycle of hormonal imbalances continues, irrespective of whether you have had a hysterectomy or not. 
the different methods that the surgeon might use is also very, very important. Um, and this is just with the changing science as well. So things keep changing. Hopefully, uh, you know, if you are speaking to a surgeon about that, that they will be up on the latest research as to what's most effective. I'll pop all of this research onto the Facebook page so that you can go to these appointments if you are uh, armed with information and research so that you can ask, you know, the questions so that you know that you're getting the best quality care. Um, so medically speaking, there's also like a bit of a, a neuroimmune connection with endometriosis as well. Mm, meaning, commonly we have, uh, I guess, immune compromisation or uh, autoimmune disorders that are connected with endometriosis. So ladies who are listening, if you do have an endometriosis, um, do you also have an autoimmune concern? Because these are commonly found uh, in conjunction with one another and there are certainly some thoughts behind why that autoimmune condition is uh, possible when there's the presence of endometriosis and is it's that age-old question chicken or the egg yeah does one cause the one does one cause the other um unfortunately science doesn't confirm either either however if you can work on the underlying concerns of that autoimmune condition you can also improve the outcomes from the endometrial uh, concerns uh, so the other medical options is, you know, obviously hormonal intervention. So putting on someone on the oral contraceptive pill so that you don't go through the um, normal thickening of the uterine lining as what a woman would naturally. Which we tend to do, which is the recommendation for so many women with so many hormonal imbalances, whether it's polycystic ovaries or endometriosis, yeah. um, first line action is often the oral contraceptive pill. But we have grave concerns about that because we're having a chat and you're talking about that theory behind what we're doing as women to the future generations of women yeah. if we in fact take the oral contraceptive pill. Let's have a chat about that just to, to throw an idea out there. Now, we sort of don't claim that every single thing we discuss is, is founded in science because often science is still catching up mm-hmm. to the suspicions of observation over time and so thankfully for us there's a lot of research that's catching up to some of these uh, things we've been thinking about for a long time and of course a lot of great women's health uh, experts and leaders have been talking about for a long time but the research hasn't been there and so it just simply looks like uh, a theory until proven otherwise so let's talk about what we think could be contributing to why women of the future might be having more and more concerns with endometriosis or other hormonal issues well first and foremost even the oral pill to address uh, endometri- endometriosis I think is a terrible idea and I'm quite happy to say that quite frankly because you're not addressing the issue you are masking the symptoms at best and setting yourself up for worse symptoms when you come off it because we know that the oral contraceptive pill creates a state of estrogen dominance takes your own hormones offline and completely messes with your system. It puts more pressure on your liver to try and detoxify all of those synthetic hormones from your body as well. But what you were just referring to um, was we know that, remember where if you go back to the episode on the pill or the episodes on the xenoestrogens, talking about the environmental impact of that. And what a lot of us don't actually realize is that when we are born, we have the we are born with the ovaries or with the eggs that will make our daughters. And if that becomes a woman, then we also have the potential to make our granddaughters as well. Okay. So if we are pregnant with a girl, that girl has ovaries with eggs in it. So we are carrying the next two of our generations. 
Isn't that incredible? That's I just an think incredible that that thought, which most women don't a, think about. Such a, like, gives you goosebumps thinking that you are carrying your next two generations. So one day when you look at your granddaughter, you really look at the, the child that you carry within the child almost. Yeah, it's yeah exactly. It's an incredible concept. Uh, all the research that's showing the environmental impact of synthetic estrogens, we know that it's turning the, like, the, the, um, the prevalence of turning the fish from male into oh, female. It's gender bending, literally. And it's affecting the next three generations. So it's showing the impact on generations to come. The same thing is happening with us. The health of the egg and the sperm that makes that embryo will impact the health of it along its life cycle. So if you are pregnant with a girl that has that you are also carrying the next future generation or the next two generations after that, the health of the egg that you made that with is going to impact your next two generations. And so this might seem like a little sideline, but it's really not because in the big scope of what we talk about in this concept of vitalistic health principles, we as human beings cannot under any circumstance remove ourselves from nature and think we're better than or independent of because whatever you see in other mammals or in other species is happening in us too we're just simply calling it a diagnosis and giving it a definition and giving it a name as opposed to acknowledging the fact that we are mammals and we live in an animal kingdom and we are getting the same health experiences that the animal kingdom is experiencing so let's look at our human body and see what, as women, we might be inadvertently, indirectly, or unknowingly doing to ourselves that could be contributing to significant uh, worsening of endometriosis. What are some of the things that we could be doing, whether consciously or unconsciously, Andrea, that could be causing a situation where endometriosis is uh, worsened? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think we just digressed for a second there. So let's just quickly cover, like medically speaking, what the treatment options are. So we looked at the oral contraceptive pill. Um, the other things are uh, um, synthetic progesterones. There's one called Danazol or there's gonadotrophin releasing hormone and tag or agonists, which means it pretty much affects the pituitary gland in the brain and puts women into a menopausal state. Can you imagine putting a young cycling woman into a state of menopause? Mm. There's so many side effects with that stuff, like hot flushes, mood changes, vaginal thinning, bone loss, sleep difficulties and disturbances, loss of sex drive. And women on Danazol have been shown that they will have masculizing implications. So hair growth, voice deepening, weight gain, all of those sorts of things as well. Um, so pharmaceutically, these don't sound like great options for women right now. Remember, you cannot medicate away a condition that imbalances or hormonal imbalances created in the first place. So let's look at now. Let's go on to some ways that you can start to address the cause of some of these conditions. And let's look at some of you know the holistic approach of what we would consider when dealing with a patient with endometriosis. So first and foremost, we've got to look at the lifestyle lifestyle for any condition is also so so important and remember that if there is a case of estrogen dominance a lot of that occurs because of our stress so one thing we always ignore is our adrenal function but your adrenals your ovarian hormones are very much a slave to our adrenals remember that we're when we're in that stressful state cortisol is robbing all of our uh, ovarian hormones particularly that of progesterone which has to keep estrogen in balance to make more of it 
And this goes right back to our brain, doesn't it? Yes. Because we've got the HPA axis, which we've discussed at depth in uh, previous episodes, and this is our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So whatever the adrenals do is thanks to the hypothalamus in the brain, which then, by mechanisms of what they call biofeedback loops, um, have negative feedback systems that when one thing goes up, the brain recognizes that transition, switches another thing off, and bioregulates all your hormone chemistry. So I'd love to show you a picture on this because it makes more sense when my hands are going up and down and Andrew's looking <laughs> nodding and I'm thinking our listeners are not seeing my hands going up and down right now but to explain it, it's almost like a, a seesaw as the weight goes down on one side another thing comes up and as it gets to the bottom and there's a bit of momentum and it recognizes a change the weight comes down the other way so things are constantly cycling and seesawing and as we've used the the um, analogy before your hormones are a symphony yeah they're constantly coming in and out one instrument comes in as there's other rises and falls and you're like an orchestra like a symphony so those hormone imbalances are significant because whatever you do to affect uh, your hormone chemistry and balance because of stress because of the overload of your adrenal system um, is going to totally change your hormone profiles as well and that's in your reproductive hormones yeah so you have got to identify your stress you need to have a really hard look at this you need to have a pretty honest conversation with yourself about where are the stresses in your life and how can you start to change that how can you calm down your adrenals and we'll certainly give you tips on the facebook page for doing some of these things as well and stress ties in closely with the emotional factors that are discussed a lot in chinese medicine i mean a quarter of a century ago doctors recognized that A-type personalities were more prone to stress disorders, which led to cardiovascular disease. So it's not totally a stretch to realize that emotion changes physiology, which changes your health profile and can lead to a disease process. However, often, as far as doctors are aware, that's about as far as they want to stretch it. Now, in Chinese medicine, they talk about some of the solutions to endometriosis is actually to avoid fear, anger, and excessive emotions. Now, fear, holding on to repressed anger, repressed fear, um, or having really high and low emotional states sets us up for that uh, stress hormone cascade that can lead to endometriosis, if not causing it, it can certainly exacerbate it. So, um, and, you know, in terms of how do you to overcome that, I mean, it could be things like reducing your stress by changing jobs or seeking counselling for someone or just factoring more holidays, you know, having time off, having more me time. Every week in your diary, dedicate some time to you. I mean, you're planning meetings with every other person in the world, um, in your life. I mean, you, you consciously put time out for a friend who needs you, but when do you consciously put time out for you? Because you need you. And I would say for women, if they've got endometriosis, don't do this weekly. You need to do this daily. And you need to get really good at saying that, no, this is now time for me. And it's interesting what you were saying about your job because endometriosis originally was called the career woman's disease. Isn't that Ah, interesting? So women who are, quote unquote, delayed their duties... So essentially, <laughs> they haven't gone to become a housewife. Yeah, we're at, we're at greatest risk. So this was like pretty pretty controversial, but pregnancy offers absolutely no protection against this disease. Uh, so you know uh, that's just ridiculous. However, Carolyn Mace and the brilliant Dr. Chris Northrup talk about endometriosis being an illness of competition. 
Mm. So when women are competing with their internal needs and the outside world, there's conflict. And this is also where we set up this idea of um, our expectations. It lies heavily in this idea of our expectations of ourselves and sometimes those around us. And often we set up unrealistic goals or expectations and this drives the fear or the anger. I mean, how many times, for example, how do you feel if you organise a lunch date with someone and they don't turn up? And what's your first emotion there? Do you straight away go to concern and think, oh, I wonder if something's happened? Or do you go to anger and think, damn, you know, person, they stood me up. How rude. What emotional state drives that experience? Because that's just a, a single example of what we are predisposed to when we say, what are the highs and lows? Ah, but I don't get angry. I, I don't get scared. Just think about day-to-day events. I mean, if your child leaves clothing on the floor, does that make you like get angry or get scared that you're not raising a child that's going to be able to look after themselves? So absolutely, fear and anger are a driving part of a woman's uh, disruption, I think, to her hormonal and reproductive cycles. And I think the reason that these women talk about the, the emotional stress response and why that's so important, especially with endometriosis, is because women were originally, like, we're now part of what traditionally, for, you know, as long as we can remember, a very male-dominated world that is competition and business. And women don't play in that space anywhere near as well as what men do because we are driven differently. Um, so we don't get the emotional support in our homes and in in the workplace that we need Um, and we are so good at driving ourselves relentlessly in the outside world rarely resting rarely tuning into what our innermost needs and desires are and just pushing ourselves to the brink and you know what when this stuff happens it's a really good way of forcing us to pay attention to what's going on so women that are listening thinking that endometriosis is concerned does this resonate with you is this something that you now recognize as being part of? And we were saying that this episode might be something people don't want to hear. And this can be part of that. I don't want to hear that. I don't have time for that. Um, you're wrong. But if you really slow down and carefully think about this, you'll realize that there is certainly some areas in your life where you are absolutely comparing yourself to others. You're putting other people on a pedestal and trying to achieve what they achieve at the detriment of your own health experience. And Today's the day to start to acknowledge that and learn to stop, learn to let go, to realize, hell, the grass is always going to be greener. There's always going to be a woman out there who seems to have it all. They've got the house and the kids and these beautiful angelic children that don't seem to pick their nose at the table. And you think this is so unfair or the girlfriend who seems to be able to get the best job and does everything and she's got the you know the hot boyfriend and she's miss sporty and she's smart and she does everything and you look at her from the outside in and you think my god she's perfect i i mean it's so hard to keep up with her she's so amazing slow down because at the end of the day you do not know her story yeah when yeah. the doors are closed and the lights are out and she's at home alone you don't know her story. You don't know what goes inside her head. You don't know what's going on inside her body. And this is where endometriosis comes into it too, isn't it? You sort of, you often find that these topics are closet. They're quiet. They're secretive. Women may not tell other women they have endometriosis because it's effectively like putting on a badge that there's something wrong with me or that I have infertility. So my husband and I are trying, oh, we, we haven't got there yet. We make excuses. We tell the world that everything's perfect. And yet possibly that woman's been trying for two years to have a child 
And she's been telling the world that she's just focused on her career right now, which is okay because that's a protective mechanism. But what I'm trying to say is just be really careful about comparing yourself to others. And you think, how does this have anything to do with endometriosis? It has everything to do with it. It's about our entire physiology changing in response to the way in which our mind thinks. Yeah, definitely. And scientifically speaking, it's all because of, or physiologically speaking, it's all because of that stress response. Okay, so let's give you guys some practical tips of some things that you can start to look at. Um, I always teach all my patients to do what's called a mind massage. It's something you can do on yourself. It's a... I just got little pictures of, of hands-on brain right now. <laughs> <laughs> mind massage. Not, not a mind massage, a Mayan massage. A so lion. Mayan massage. And I'll, I'll put some, uh, some links again on the Facebook page of how you can do this yourself. Um, it's something that I would encourage you to do every single day. Um, when you do it, use a magnesium oil or something like that that has an anti-inflammatory and anti-spasmodic effect as well. Um, Castor oil packs are fantastic too. They help reduce inflammation and they also promote lymphatic stimulation. Uh, Again, I'll give you you the details of how to do that. Um, I find supplementation very, very beneficial. This is something you need to talk to your health practitioner about. I usually recommend things that help to reduce pelvic uh, pelvic congestion that decrease, again, that spasmodic effect of the really painful, crampy periods. Um, So natural anti-inflammatory effects as well and everything that's going to help to reduce that estrogen dominance. Um, At a baseline level, you know, your B complexes, vitamin C, selenium, zinc, your good omegas, magnesium, that sort of thing are very, very beneficial. We can get down to the more really potent Chinese herbs but like I say, talk to your health practitioner about this because you've got to get it right. Yeah, and absolutely follow a whole foods diet, eliminating processed and packaged foods, reducing your sugars, increasing cruciferous vegetables, so your nutrient-rich vegetables such as broccoli, um, there's Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, your kale, uh, spinach, uh, all of those Basically, they're green, aren't they? Yeah. Nearly always they're, they're bright uh, green, heavy green veggies. This is for two reasons. One, it's going to stimulate that uh, liver detoxification, but also because they have a component in them called indole-3-carbonyl, which helps to rid the system of excess estrogen yes and the uh especially in broccoli that's uh, the broccoli extract is something that they use in a lot of the potent supplementation to help support the system on this pathway uh work on weight loss as well and this is where we talk about you know the fat being a also an antagonist for excessive estrogen um you need to work on maintaining a healthy level body body fat because you've got to limit that um internal endogenous production of estrogen so before you go and get laparoscopies, before you go and get all the surgery, you've really got to work on some of the lifestyle factors you've got control over. And if it's really hard for you to make that change, you need to speak to your practitioners. You need to get help because there's a lot of people out there who can help you. I love that you mentioned the whole food diet because remember that endometriosis is such an inflammatory condition. So mm-hmm. any foods you're eating that are going to create inflammation in your system is going to drive this as well. So sugar, gluten, dairy, all of those things get tested figure out what you're sensitive to and get them out of your diet because these are all the places that you have to start if you want to make meaningful change. And as much as possible, eliminate um, meat consumption or at least non-organic meat consumption. Especially beef because it has a really high uh, estrogen consumption. Oh, well, just there's, no, there's, there's hormones pumped yeah. into the animals to make them grow fast, to yeah. get them to market quicker so that we can eat them on the table faster. So, yeah, um, long story short, yes, the, those animals, uh, it's really hard to, to hear this. Uh, both of us have been vegetarian, vegan at different points in our life, and sick animals make sick people. Yeah, People don't realise, just because an animal's not lying on the floor sick, 
sick means that they're internally unhealthy and then they produce unhealthy meat, which we then eat, which leads to sick humans as well so yeah trying to limit some of those things and certainly if you're not getting enough um, whole fats in your diet you're going to need some good saturated fat as well don't be scared of saturated fats go back to our fats episode saturated fats are not the enemy we need to have these quality fats because they help us um, and certainly don't be you know the anything that you're worried about high cholesterol getting more cholesterol in your diet please don't be concerned by that because cholesterol is the base molecule that leads to the production of all our sex hormones mm-hmm. so if you want healthy sex hormones you do need to have good quality cholesterol and fats in your diet otherwise you're going to have deficiency and concerns in the production of sex hormones uh, and lastly, look, I know we've gone really over time um, today. We will certainly follow this up, you know, in, in weeks to come. We should come. have done part one and part two, but I think we'll have lots more to expand on as well. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of questions about this and that will help us guide us into what areas you guys that are listening need to know more about so we can expand on those areas. Uh, every single woman that I work with that has endometriosis, there's always a stress emotional component. So seek out your practitioners, start with some really good mindful practices start looking at some yoga and some meditation those things to calm down the stress identify that and start to work with it Uh, within sort of energy medicine we call the uterus or the womb our second heart which carries a lot of the pain that we've had from men previously so it might be time to start to let go or address some of those things that it can also be childhood traumas that you may not even not you don't even know about there's things that happen in our lives we don't recall us holding on to and that's where energy practitioners or people proficient in for example neuromotion techniques can help us unlock those areas as painful as that might seem once you can acknowledge and identify that pain source you have the opportunity to release it and allow that to transform your health profile which is really fascinating how much we hold on to as women we're emotional beings don't forget that it's uh it's why we cry in every movie and, um, we, we tend to be much higher and much lower than men do because we we have this emotional component to our existence and we want to not hide that we want to ex- you know i guess celebrate that as women um, but it's certainly part of our health that we need to acknowledge so ladies Uh, That's a lot to take in today. There's some people who might have just found that absolutely fantastic and timely to help them unlock some of the concerns they have. Other women will find that uh, it's just an add-on to some of the things they already know. For those women listening who already, let's just say, you think, oh, I've heard all this before, are you doing what you need to do? Or are you still blaming the body as being stupid, dumb, and not working for you? Instead, take control of what you can take control over. Start to transition your lifestyle. Start to seek help from the right people and do what you know you need to do. Uh, And ladies, just remember that this is absolutely something that you can be in control of. You can change. It takes work. It takes effort. But again, you are so worth it. Uh, So we would love to hear from you. Let us know what your experience is as well. You can find us on the Facebook page. So uh, facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women or on our website, thewellnesswomen.com.au. We will certainly put up all of these resources that we just talked about because I know how important that is to you and to your healing from this. Uh, So we would love to hear from you. If you need help, if you need support, let us know. Email us at info at thewellnesswomen.com.au and we'll help you wherever we can. We've had such a great time recording this today. Have an amazing week, ladies, and we'll chat to you next week. Be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Lost the Ones Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Lost Couch podcasts.